Something that I want. How many of you want something? Okay, listen, if you're a human being and honest, your hand is in the air, right? How you want something? You know, philosophers have noted, whether in a modern song or such ancient greats as Thomas Hobbes, that human beings want things. And that doesn't surprise us very much, does it? Does it? No. So it's interactive, church. It's okay. Just speak out. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to see that, I don't think. Doesn't even take a philosopher. As part of being human, we want things. Hobbes, who I mentioned, look what he says about desire. It's the fundamental motivation of all human action. Wow. In other words, we not only want things, we want things very, very much. It's our fundamental motivation for doing anything, our desire, what we want. It drives us. And, you know, wanting something's all well and good. There's nothing uh, inherently evil about wanting things. It's all well and good so long as what we want or what I want doesn't go against what God wants, right? Or what God wants for us. But there's the rub, if you're like me. The rub is, man, sometimes I do want those things that God doesn't want for me. How about you? I hear a few people. Again, if you're human, <laughs> I would think you're with me in that. And You know, there are those times when I want something I want to do it the way that I think is best when facing a decision. I want to do what's best for me by that human nature in me. And the problem is, is sometimes, if you're like me, that doesn't want to match up with what God wants for me. And that's a problem when that happens, isn't it? So what do we do? What do we do when, when what I want... And what God wants are different. And this morning we're going to look at that in this new series that we're calling I Want. We're going to spend a few weeks learning about what happens. What do we do when our wants and God's wants are different? And so we thought uh, since almost everyone, it seems, wants something created by a certain computer company... That's the template that we're using for our sermon series. Now, we don't want to offend anyone, and um, we don't want to be sued. So let me say up front that God may indeed want you to have an iPhone. <laughs> I'm pretty sure iPhones are not inherently evil. And so, listen, just, you know, to make sure we're not picking on anyone in particular, we also have alternate graphics for the sermon series like this one. I'll call your Apple and raise you a robot. Or maybe this one. How many recognize that one? I had to ask John, what is that? That's Blackberry, right? It's not? 
Is it Blackberry? Okay, thank you. You know, we didn't use that one because it looks like an O, so we're saving it for our next series called I Won't. (laughs) Closely related to I Want, oddly enough. No, just kidding. But uh, Okay, and to make sure uh, we either satisfy or offend uh, everyone, one more title slide for our series. Let's take a look. There it is. Yeah, and you know uh, the greatest oxymoron of all time, right? Microsoft works. That's what I mean. <laughs> Amen in the assembly this morning. Amen. Well, one way I think to uh, uh, help us know what to do when our wants and God wants are different is to try and identify some of those wants of ours that often go against what God wants for us. And one way to figure those out or choose what those wants might be, what I want versus what God wants, is maybe take a look at some real-life stories. Let's look at some real-life stories where people struggled with that, with their wants not quite matching up with what God wants, and learn from their experience. Because um, people have been struggling with this uh, for a long time. In fact, right from the beginning, people like Adam and Eve, people like Cain and Abel, people like Noah and his contemporaries, and people like the builders of the Tower of Babel, all stories that we'll be looking at um, over the next several weeks. If you would uh, please open your Bibles uh, this morning to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 will start uh, in the beginning, or very near the beginning, in the third chapter in Genesis. And uh, what we come across there is uh, the very first story when um, people came face to face with something that they wanted that God doesn't want for them. And um, what is it exactly, do you think, that uh, Adam and Eve want that God doesn't? And do we want that same thing that Adam and Eve wanted sometimes. Let's take a look uh, at the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 3. Grace, uh, I'm going to read through all of them uh, this service. Uh, Grace runs slides for me, and um, sorry, Grace, I didn't let you know. But let's read through uh, all nine verses, Genesis chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, And you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man, Where are you? This is the very word of God. Amen? Some notes about that passage we just read. Uh, See if you've ever considered it this way. We're introduced right at the top to a serpent. Why a serpent, do you suppose? Many of you will say, well, that's self-evident. I hate snakes. And, uh, yeah, they creep me out, too. But um, history tells us that in all ancient cultures, including early Semitic or Israeli culture, that serpent was a symbol of many, many things. Among them, for our purposes this morning in context, a serpent stood for wisdom. Another thing the serpent stood for or carried with it at the time that this was written was the serpent was adversary. Adversary to all of the gods of other cultures and adversary to people. So you've got this wise adversary symbol that shows up. And that's probably what we're intended to notice by the serpent here. Here comes a wise adversary to talk to Adam and Eve. And he says in verse 2, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And that snake is so clever, isn't he? He overstates it on purpose. God only said no to one tree, right? But in overstating it, that snake puts the suggestion into Eve's mind that God is unreasonable. You can't eat from any tree? How unreasonable is God? Isn't he Eve? And the snake cleverly changes what God originally commanded, it says in the earlier chapter. Instead, the snake says, did God say... Say is much softer than commanded, isn't it? Almost makes it seem like it's optional. Well, he said versus he commanded. The snake is so clever. Eve responds, we may eat from the trees in the garden. So she corrects the snake. Good job, Eve. Interesting, she didn't include God's original word, freely, We may freely eat from the garden, so she wasn't feeling inclined to rejoice that they could eat freely from any but one tree. 
And then she keeps the snake's word say, but God did say, Eve said. She didn't change it back to command. You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And then Eve adds this to God's original command. And you must not touch it, which God never said, or you will die. Now, why do you suppose Eve adds that? Is that snake's initial push to make God seem unreasonable taking hold in her? Uh Uh-oh. And what we see already is called foreshadowing. This isn't going well right from the top, and it isn't going to end well. The snake is smiling now. Can snakes smile? By the time we get to verse 4, you will not surely die. The snake adds surely, which Eve didn't tell the snake. Where did the snake get the phrase surely die from? Earlier, that's what God told Adam. You will surely die. And so the snake quotes God to show Adam and Eve he knows exactly what God told them. You will not surely die. And the snake takes a risk here. And the risk he takes as he sees Adam and Eve coming along with this suggestion that God is unreasonable and isn't to be trusted, he takes a risk. And the risk is he directly contradicts here, word for word, what God said. God said, you will surely die, and the snake takes a risk. You will not surely die. And the snake's risk is that somehow those two wake up in the face of that direct lie, which... The devil snuck them up to accepting. It's what he does. And he takes a risk that those two will say, wait a minute. That's a lie. I'm not going to listen to you. After all, you're a snake. And they should have turned, kicked dust on that snake and and run. Become the first streakers in human history. (laughs) They had that chance and they blew it. Verse 5, the snake now expands. God's not only unreasonable, but in verse 5, look what the snake does. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, the devil is so clever. God's not only unreasonable, but he's holding out on you. He's acting out of his own self-interest. He's selfish. You can't rely on him as someone to trust. The snake tries to undermine God's credibility here. And that couple of phrases that the snake uses here perhaps should be explained. The phrase, what does it mean that your eyes will be opened? What does it mean that you'll know good and evil? Interestingly enough, 
Those two, free, those two phrases, your eyes will be opened, you will know good and evil, mean idiomatically the same thing in ancient writings. They mean something like this. You will gain the capacity that allows you to make decisions independently of God. Let me put it in a little more common phrase, at least common to me. Hopefully you've heard it. Your eyes will be opened and you'll know good and evil is as if to say, you will get to be the boss of you. Rather than this unreasonable, self-serving God who's in it for himself. You'll get to be the boss of you, guys. If you eat of this tree, eating of this tree, that act in and of itself will be you taking control of your own welfare rather than this God you can't trust to look out for you. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 1 is one place that phrase knowing good and evil is used in the context of children growing up and maturing. When they get to that age of accountability, that age where children could be responsible, the idiom is, ah, they now know the difference between good and evil. And so whether or not Adam and Eve are children is an interesting question. We don't know how old they are in the text. We tend to put them in, I don't know, the primes of their lives or something. I, personal opinion, and I wouldn't come close to dying for it, given God's love of children, I imagine they're kids. One reason I think they might be kids, too, is they haven't had children yet. <laughs> and maybe because they weren't of age yet, where husband and wife were able to have children because they were too young, but that's an interesting discussion some other time. But the devil uses that age as, come on, it's time for you guys to grow up. You know? What it means to become mature is you don't have to rely on God anymore to take care of you. You be the boss of you. And as I've said, this God is kind of unreasonable. And gee, who does he think he is? You can't trust him. He's not telling you the truth. Take control of your life yourself. And the deep irony in the serpent's lie here to Adam and Eve is that it is partially true. Most uh, best lies have a kernel of truth in them, don't they? They make it harder to distinguish the lie. And the true part is, yes, if Adam and Eve choose to take responsibility for their welfare into their own hands, independent of God, God will indeed honor their choice because he's like that. He'll respect a person's integrity, he will not force them to obey. And the snake, I'm sure, knew that. The snake, the lie part is that he's suggesting, contrary to what God has told Adam and Eve, that it would be better for them to care for themselves rather than have this unreasonable God you can't trust to care for you. You see, God's command not to eat of the 
I get to be the boss of me tree is God's way of saying, look, if you choose independence from me, if you choose to be your own boss, it will be so. But please, my dear children, whom I love, don't hear me. You're unable to do that on your own. That's a no-hoper. It will end in disaster and death. You can't. I ought to know. I made you. And I didn't make you to do it on your own. The reason I made you is so we could do all of this together because I love you that much. So please, don't choose to try and be the boss of you. Trust me. I suppose uh, there are many ways to describe what Adam and Eve want here. In a word, I want to suggest to you this morning, one of those ways to describe it is that Adam and Eve want control. They want control of their own lives. They want the control of their own welfare. They want to be the boss of themselves. They want to decide for themselves what's best for them independently from God. That's what they want. And obviously, this is one of those wants that God didn't want in commanding Adam and Eve not to eat of that tree. In that command, he's communicating to Adam and Eve what he wanted from them was to trust him to be the boss of them. And so what Adam and Eve wanted, control, went against what God wanted, trust. You ever find yourself there with God, wanting to take control of a situation and do what you want, even though you have an inkling or you wonder or you wrestle with or you outright know this isn't what God wants. And by the way, that's a really hard process sometimes, isn't it? To try to decide if what I want is or isn't what God wants. Oh, we need great discernment there. We need much Sabbath time. We need to partner with God. Here's a shout back to our Ready or Not series, isn't it? when we have to wrestle with whether or not those wants are competing. But you ever find yourself wanting just to take control over your own welfare rather than trusting God? Maybe get tired of waiting on him to act in a way or in a time that you want him to act? Ever just want to be your own boss? There's an appeal there, a temptation there, isn't there? See, if you understand that, if you've been there, then you understand Adam and Eve. Um, I'm going to try to illustrate this morning um, what I think Adam and Eve were going through. Um, it's a little bit different illustration. I've never done this before, so we'll see how it works. Um, I was looking for an illustration this morning, and you know, I came across a very famous song. And uh, I'll play it for you in a second, but um, 
couple things I want you to know about this song before um, we hear it. It is, in fact, someone did the research, it's a song that ever since its release decades ago, it is far and away the number one song that people who don't know the Lord choose to have played at their funerals. Somehow someone researched that. Second, I, I want to play it for us this morning because it's a song that if the serpent had been singing his temptation to Adam and Eve in the garden that day, this could easily have been the song. And it's a song that the snake convinced Adam and Eve to sing along with him. So, do you want to hear it? Okay, but be careful. It's tempting. And I say that with some humor, but I say that deadly seriously as well. It's longer. I want to let it play. I want you to see the lyrics. I'll make some comments along the way as it goes, but see what you think. Was this the song that was playing at the tree with the snake and the young couple in Genesis 3? And does this song also play in your own ears sometimes when you're struggling with what you want or I want versus what God wants? All right, let's listen. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived A life that's full I traveled each And every highway Oh, and here it comes And more You know, you want to sing along, right? Much more than Go this. ahead I did it my way Oh, that sounds, feels so good, doesn't it? I've had a few To a part of you But then again Too few to mention I did what I had to do What I had to do Saw it through without exemption I planned I planned Each it. charted course Each careful step It's up to me because I'm the boss the of me And you know the song is profound because of its tone, right? Oh, here it is, ready? I did it. Go ahead. My way. Yes, oh boy. Adam and Eve are sure letting the hook sink now, right? How do we know that? Because the orchestra swelled. And all the snake's little friends are joining in. The Geico lizard. The mosquitoes. <laughs> oh, there's something in there, right? You're darn right. I did it. 
and I did it what way? Go ahead. I did it my way. Oh, it's not done. Isn't it so tempting to live your life and make all of your decisions through this filter? I find it all so amusing to think I did all that. He's not really very humble, is he? I didn't do it in a shy way. Why should I? It's me. There it is. I did it my way. You'd think I'd stop it now, but I'm not going to. How about the Lord? Does the man have the Lord if he wants him? Not according to this philosophy. If you don't got yourself, you got nothing. I'm going to say what I truly feel. Because what I think is the only thing that matters. To heck with getting down on my knees and praying before an everlasting God and seeking His direction. Why would I do that? Instead, I did it my way. Right? Oh, here's the big Broadway-style finish. It must be true. Let it breathe. It's killing John. He wants to end it. Yes, it was Now, I know we've had uh, some fun with this, but let me say something that's not fun. I doubt very much that there is an official national anthem for hell. But if hell has one, we did it our way. And that's the allure for us to take control and do it our way. Perhaps the most famous psalm of all, Psalm 23, puts it best. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That is, I'm not going to be wanting for anything I need when I choose to follow God as my shepherd and trust him like those sheep trusted their shepherd. Do you trust God like that? You might ask, well, you know what, that's a lot to ask. 
for me to trust God completely. And you know what? Yeah, it is a lot to ask. And you might ask, well, how can I know we can trust that? How do I know God is completely trustworthy? I need to know this for sure before I give up control. Are you kidding me? My life depends on it and those around me. What's the basis for me to be able to trust God that completely and to stay away from the I get to be boss of me trees in my life? Let me tell you what the basis is, my friends. The basis is that God sent his one and only son to die on a cross for you and for me to show us once and for all that we can trust that his love is wide and deep. Amen? And so the next time the devil comes and starts to hum in your ears, hum in our ears, I did it my way, why don't you too? Will you choose to trust God in that moment and seek out for sure what it is that he wants? And instead, together with God, throw your head back and sing with God, we did it God's way. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, you made us with deep desires, deep needs, deep wants. Help us, Father, when we need to discern what it is that I want up against what we know is what you want. Oh, Father, help those two to meet. Work your transforming power of our hearts so that we together with the Apostle Paul can talk about it not being me who lives any longer, but Christ in me. That what I want and what you want can become transformationally one desire in Christ. When we reach out for control in a situation, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit now indwelling in us, would you help us to loosen that grip and instead turn palms upward to you in humble kneeling expectation that we can trust you and that you'll love us and that you'll take care of us. Father, we love you. I just ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction this morning? I'd like to move to the center, as many of you know, so you can take a look at each other. Because after all, we're one big family of God. Amen. Amen. Listen to these words from the book of Proverbs, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. And guess what happens? That's a paraphrase. 
in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. In the name of Jesus, amen? Amen. amen. Before I dismiss you, please take advantage of the ministry fair today. All sorts of wonderful tables out there. The Broncos don't play. I'm pretty sure that they're going to win in week one. Please take the time to take a look at all the wonderful ministries we have here. Find a place, if you're not already serving, where you can serve and participate too. Would you please? Meet some old friends and meet some new ones. God bless you all. Have a great week.